Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 51. We're going to continue our study on the cross, the cross specifically in the life of the believer. I'm going to start with just a very familiar passage. It kind of goes with what we were just talking about and praying about for our country. Let's pick up in verse 15, Psalm 51, 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. We're asking God to open up uh, the psalmist is, and, and that's for us as well. Open up my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. He'll never despise that. That's always going to be honoring to the Lord. We, we are imperfect even after we're saved. We're imperfect. Christ in us is perfect. Amen. But we're imperfect and He's working in us. We are a work under progress, so to speak. But one thing God will always honor is that true inward contrition because He can work with that. He can work in that life. He can work in a life that is imperfect to make it perfect if that will is surrendered over to the Lord and there's true contrition before God and humility. There's a scripture in 1 Peter 5, uh, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So we've been talking in the last couple of Wednesdays uh, as we're nearing the end of this study, we've been talking about the cross and methods, the cross and organizations, you know, as far as within the church, within the missions program, within the outreaches of the church. And, and the, the reliance needs to be on God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel to save the tried and true methods, so to speak, of the Bible that we see in the book of Acts that has been given to us and not trust in committees and our church budget. I said that God is not disorganized. He's, he's not a God of confusion. He's a God of order, but he empowers the weakest and most feeble of us and uses us contrary to carnal reasoning and wisdom in spite of our weaknesses. He wants us to rely upon Him. Amen? He wants us to rely upon Him. And so the cross comes to bear to bring us death to ourself and death to things that we trust in. Trusting in the arm of the flesh. Our church has a big budget. Our church is a lot of talented people. Our church has this. Or I have a lot of gifts and talents. And we, we can, if we're not careful, begin to trust in those things. And we just stay within what's comfortable for us, even in the ministry. And we don't step out into this really takes faith. You know what I mean? Stepping out in faith to venture out into something in obedience to Christ. I'm not talking about presumptuously. Stepping out into something He's called us to. And He wants to shake a nation, for example. But we're too comfortable right here. Or we're too scared to step out. And so it's a question of faith as well. There's one minister, and I'm going to read some quotes. He says, there are those that still persist 
and remaining unbroken and stout-hearted and self-willed. This is where the cross comes to, to bear. I'm speaking about Christians here. All right. This minister says they are slow to learn what is to be done and equally, equally reluctant to submit to its being done. So people don't want to hear. They're slow to learn what God's trying to teach. And then once he teaches there, we can be reluctant to surrender to it. He's saying, here's, here's what needs to be done in your life. Here's what needs to be done in your church. And we are slow to hear it because we're thinking we're real successful in Christ over here, possibly. And then when he does show us, then we're equally hesitant or reluctant to submit to, okay, now you show me. And then he still needs to break our will to, to bring us to a place of surrender so that he can do it. But... Uh, he goes on to say that God desires that they, these Christians he's speaking of, shall be his, but they still love the world. They attach their affections first to one object and then to another. And I think it's interesting, and I agree with it. It's not that just we're just kind of aimlessly and blindlessly attached to the world or worldly. I think we have to take our eyes off of Christ and fix ourselves on something. It could be our children. Okay, it could be our standard of living that we're comfortable with. I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to myself. We attach our affections to things in the world. He goes on to speak of these, these believers. They would perhaps be pleased to have God for their portion, but they must have something besides God. And I thought about that. This is a believer that is pleased to be called a Christian and to know Christ and to, to walk with the Lord. But for them, they also have to have something else besides God to be satisfied. At the Bible study today at Parkview, I was talking to the boys about the rich young ruler and not the fact that, that, that these young men are, are, are that rich young ruler, so to speak. But I said, whatever keeps you from heaven is not worth it. For the rich young ruler, it was his riches. I said, what is it for you? You know, and most of them were saying things like friends, social media, friends, friends, friends. That was, and so I was able to share some of my testimony uh, about that attachment as a believer, the attachment of an in, inordinate or out of balance affection for my friends to, to the loss of my relationship with the Lord full surrender to him and what it should have been. And so um, we just want to examine our own hearts. God, they vainly think that they would like to have God and their idols at the same time. Now, a believer would never call that affection an idol in their life, but that's what it is. And it says there they remain for a time. I know because I've been there. I'm in agreement with this. You may be way past this. This may be old news to you, or you may be right in the midst of it. But there they remain for a time, fixed, obstinate, inflexible. But God loves them. Therefore, as they will not learn by the kindness of the Lord, they must learn, as he puts it, by the terror of the Lord. In other words, God begins, tries to teach us through his word and through the the wooing and the drawing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Randy, this in your life is out of balance. This is drawing you away from me. You have put this ahead of me. You've put this, even though it's a good thing, you've put it ahead uh, 
of me. You've put it in a place in your heart that it should not have. That I, I want to have all of your heart. And we're not learning by that. We hear good messages and sermons and we read the Bible and we pray and we get exhorted in prayer meetings and so forth. And we're not learning by the kindness of the Lord. And so God has to take more drastic measures. And I honestly think for the most part, God deals with us and the individual believer to the extent that we need to be dealt with. That makes sense. If I would learn this quickly from the Holy Ghost teaching me, and the word of God, then he wouldn't have to resort to this. I would have learned it here. But since I didn't learn this, and he still loves me and wants me to be fully his, this is all out of love. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, right? He is going to do what is necessary to continue to get my attention or to get my contrition like we opened up with, the contrition in my heart to where he has a, uh, we finally surrender and say, okay, God, take it. Take those friends. Take that standard of living. Take that uh, reputation I have among men. Take wh whatever it is, I put it in your hands. And when he gets us there, then he says, okay, now, you know, but, but I think he'll only take the measures as drastic as he deems necessary. And in his wisdom, he knows. And so I do agree with that. If we would learn by the kindness of the Lord, for the most part, I don't think we would have to experience the, the harder things of God, so to speak. He talks about it as the sword of providence and the sword of the Spirit is applied successfully to everything, every tie that binds them to the world. So God starts to work on that Christian life. And there are ties that bind that Christian life to the world. And we shouldn't have any ties that bind us to this world. We should love the world. We owe no man anything but the gospel. That's what I've heard a preacher say before. I'm not attached. I'm free from it. Like we sing, I'm free from the fear of tomorrow and so forth. We need to be free from our attachments to this world. And God begins to bring circumstances to cut one tie and then another tie and then another tie. He never puts on us more than we can bear. He upholds us by His Spirit. He does it in love. He does it with the assurance that we're going to be okay. He's going to bring us through. It's for our good. But He does it nonetheless. Their property, their health, their friends all fall before it. The inward fabric of hopes and joys and self-love and pride, it's all leveled to the dust. They are smitten within and without. That inward smiting of goals and so forth and pride and the outward attachments. God's going to work on all of it until they come to see the impossibility of the attempt to worship and love God and worship and love the world at the same time. We have to come to a place where we see that's impossible. That is not what the Lord has lived us, uh, called us to. We see carnal Christians you can truly be born again. I was a carnal Christian. Uh, the church in Corinth, Paul called them Christians. He calls them babes in Christ. He calls them worldly and carnal and immature and, uh, and so forth. But he, he addresses them as believers. This work of carnality, this work of God to get the worldliness out of their life had to be done. And Paul rebuked them sternly through, through the letter, especially in 1 Corinthians. 
but it's impossible to try to have both, to try to hang on to both. We can try it for a while, but it will not work. It does not work. God intended that that wouldn't work. I'm going to hold to Jesus and follow Jesus. I believe everything the Bible says and I want to walk with the Lord. I want to hold to these two or three things in the world that mean so much to me. And God will work kindly to say, look, that's not honoring to me. That's not what I have for your life. If you follow me fully, you'll have my presence. You'll have fullness of joy. That's not going to bring you that joy. It doesn't honor me. It hurts your testimony before men. You wonder why you don't win more people to the Lord? This is why you don't win more. First of all, you don't care that much to win that many people to the Lord. You care about X, Y, and Z over here. Okay? And, he's, and He'll try to kindly get us away from that. And He'll step it up or ramp it up to do that work because we're His. We've been bought by the blood of Christ. We belong to Him, right? He is going to work. And, and we need to give them that quickly, I'd say quickly learn to surrender. There will be many times in our lives we have to surrender to God. He put His finger, His hand on something in our life. Learn to surrender quickly. Don't fight against God. Just understand right now you're not going to win that battle. And can I also tell you, we don't want to win that battle. I don't want to beat God and say, okay, I'll just settle for 70% commitment because I really want this. I don't want to win that battle. I want my will broken. I want to be broken before the Lord. I want Him to have all of me because I read about what joy that is. How God can use somebody that's fully surrendered to Him. Am I there? No. Do I want to be there? Is God working in my life as He is in your life? Yes. I'm in agreement with, with the Lord that this is where He wants me to be. We cannot have God and love and worship God and mammon or the things of this world at the same time. We come to a place where we see God ought to be sovereign over my life. Not just in our doctrine, and we teach it in Sunday school class whenever we have a chance, but that I see in my heart of hearts, you know, God ought to be the Lord over that area of my life, and He's not. He showed me not to watch that show, and I keep watching it. He ought to be sovereign over that. You understand what I'm saying? He showed me that I shouldn't hang out with those people. Uh, they never edify, and I'm not sharing the gospel with them to any real extent either. He ought to be Lord in that area of my life and in those relationships. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's the word of the Lord. We need to hear the word of the Lord. Isn't it quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword? Doesn't it get into our hearts? It just puts an end to all dispute and arguments. Thus saith the Lord. Love not the world. All of it's going to pass away. Love the Lord. He that does the will, not knows the will, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so this is how God makes the men and women of God that he those those vessels of honor that he can really use. We might not notice them all the time, but he does. Heaven notices the men and women that are surrendered to him fully uh, and 
that that submission and that dying to ourselves and yielding to his sovereignty and lordship to where he can come in uh, that's where he's making leaders leaders i'm talking about in his church people that are really useful for the lord he has chosen to try us in the furnace of affliction he's able to do that such leaders are never made by men men don't make leaders like that god does God makes people like that. Talking about within you, the whole take the whole church and everybody in this group is saved. Out of that group of saved people, God wants to raise you up. And He wants to bring you on. Out of that group of people that are all saved and they're all going to die and they all go to heaven. This group, this is the true church. Out of that group, He wants to raise up more. And there's not just a limit. He could raise us all up, amen, to be that. He would be happy with that. If we would surrender to him in that way, those leaders in within the body of Christ are never made by councils or committees or organizations. They're appointments of God. They're anointed of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, he says over and over again. And so God wants to speak to us and we say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to give this up. I'm afraid to go any further. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid with that sacrifice, I won't be able to take the pain of not having this over here in the world. And we all come to that, right? Some are bigger than others. I said like for myself, I know when I got saved, really committed to Christ, a lot of things I just quickly gave up. They didn't mean anything to me. They were worldly, they were part of my life, but when I committed to Christ, boom, out of my life, Never tempted really with them again. Some things were a lot more difficult. Some things are still difficult. You understand what I'm saying? Those things now, this is where God wants to get and be allowed to work in these things. And you think it's a little thing. You think I'm really serving God pretty well, but I, do, I guess I do have this over here. God wants this over here. God wants that. And God wants to do this in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to count the cost. Not just to become a Christian, but count the cost of within this group of Christians over here going on to the next level, if you want to call it that. The next depth of surrender to the Lord. And there's a cost involved. That's more than rewarded over here. But there is a cost involved. There's a cost in, in giving up friends. There's a cost in giving up your reputation among men. There's a cost in giving up, if God requires, your standard of living and so forth. There's a cost in changing your schedule and making it uh, more used up for the Lord. Your time. This is my leisure time and God's eating into my leisure time. Well, He has a right to eat into every second of it if He wants to. Amen? I belong to Him. But I need my heart to be in agreement with that. I need my heart to say gladly, yes, Lord, take that. I can't just grit my teeth and force it to happen. It's a working of God's grace and His Spirit, but He requires our surrender. He requires our participation and our yielding to Him. And so God's going to bring the cross to be felt in that area of our lives. You know what it is in your life. It might be as I'm preaching, you know one specific thing. 
or a couple of things, but I'll guarantee you everybody's got something in their lives that say God wants to work in this area of my life. Get me up in the mornings and pray. Uh, I pray, but I don't get up in the mornings and pray, and I'm always rushed, and it never seems to be consistent. Uh, God wants to work in that area in your life. It's not uh, Daddy Randy telling you this. This is the Lord's Spirit telling you this and telling me this as well. I, I think I might have mentioned it's one of the boys that from the Bible study at, at school that came a couple of years ago that we didn't do it last year. And he came up to me last week and said, you helped me come to know Christ. And I said, praise God. He says, I'm praying. I'm doing these things of, of the Lord. Uh, he says, but I'm not reading my Bible. I said, well, you need to. He goes, I don't really know how to. I don't know where to start. I don't. And so I told him, I just directed him, well, why don't we start in the New Testament? Read a chapter a day. And, and just, God, you know, you're going to start wanting to read more than that. But start doing that. And so that was it. He says, thank you. He's very sincere. He came back up to me today after Bible study. And he was the last one pretty much to leave the room and says, I've been reading my Bible. I got a King James Bible because I heard that's the most accurate. I said, it is. It's the most accurate. Um, and he says, I had to read chapter one of John three times till I really started getting all the these and thous. But now I understand the these and thous and I'm moving on, you know, in John. And so I'm just encouraging him to do that. But there are things in our life. God is going to bring him there. Now he's reading his Bible. Pray for him if you think about it. His name's Jimmy. Okay, He's one that I have some kind of evidence of the Lord working in his life. And I'm thankful for it. Pray that he'll go on with the Lord. He's a junior now. and uh, but, but then there'll be other things in his life as he walks with the Lord that God will show him like he shows all of us. Amen. What's going to come from this, y'all, is what's going to happen when I'm... I'm cut off from this by the sword of the Lord, so to speak. Well, when we yield it to the Lord, we're putting it into good hands. If you take friends that aren't committed to Christ, are not healthy for you in your walk with the Lord, you take those friends and as an act of your will, by faith, you say, I'm putting them in God's hands. Then you've put them in a good place. Amen. God will take them. Not taking them off to hell or anything like that. He'll work in their lives, okay? And you can pray for them and you can be a witness to them. I'm just using friends for an example. But he's going to take you and where you think you would be too uh, lonely or too much uh, friendless or whatever, can't live without their friendship, God will come in. He will come in and more than make up for that. In your own heart of hearts, he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's not a myth. It's not just a sticker, uh, scripture you stick up on your refrigerator. It, it is Christ the Lord. A Savior to the uttermost. Amen? And a friend of friends. He will make up for that. And He will go surpass that. Not only in that area, but you'll find it opens up doors in your Christianity walk with God in other areas. Because it, the key wasn't really just friends. The key was surrender to the Lord. Submission to the Lord yieldedness to Christ. And once that is yielded to the Lord, we see God working and doing such a mighty work. And so you have to count the cost and so do I. There's a cost in the sense that even among other believers, 
you might be thought of as being strange. You know, oh, so-and-so's just carried it too far. I've heard about people that, even as Christians in, in a Christian family, the parents say, well, my teenage son or daughter has taken it too far. They're just too religious, too Christian, too holy, and actually despise that. You, you can count on the fact that there's going to be persecution from without and persecution from within because everybody is not where you are. Everybody doesn't want to be where you are in your walk or surrender to the Lord. And everybody's not willing to go there. They don't understand it. They don't like it. They're uncomfortable with it. So they're uncomfortable with you that you've gone there. And you can pray for them and love them, but go ahead. Go on. Go on with Jesus. Amen? Go on where He's called you to be and what He's called us to. And there's going to be a freedom. There's going to be a liberty that comes from that because I'm now detached from these things that I was attached to. I'm untethered. I'm unbound to things that I was bound to. They were unhealthy for me and in stunning my growth. God's now I'm free from that. Am I perfect? No, there'll be something else He shows me. But in that area, I'm freed up and there's great reward in that. There's great, great liberty in that. This is the work of the cross. There's a carefreeness, not a carelessness, not a laziness, but a carefreeness that we're, we're freed up. And less and less do we care what men think about us. Just so long as they see Jesus in us. They might despise us. They might love us. But less and less do it going to sway me what men think of me in the church and outside of the church. I stand and fall to Christ and I stand and fall to Christ alone. And I'm okay with that. I'm glad about that. I'm thankful for that. Your opinion of me, I pray you come to know Christ, but your opinion of me is not going to change me. It's not going to hurt me and wound me so deeply that I can't go on with life. I'm going to serve Christ. In His presence is fullness of joy. So there's a real uh, carefreeness, as I said, our liberty that comes from that. As this man puts it, so that without embarrassment... We can witness before small and great, rich and poor. We can be instant in season, out of season. I've said it many times. It's much easier for me to go to the Foxy's neighborhood over there uh, off, a, off an airline and walk up to some stranger and share the gospel with them. It's not easy, but it's much easier for me to do that than one of my peers that I see on a regular basis that know me, that know my life, uh, that's a lot harder. And you know it. You've experienced this as well. But it's only because there's something in me that still wants to guard and protect me and my reputation. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be shunned. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want them to look at me funny and start talking about me. That's me. That's me, and that needs to go to the cross. That needs to go to the cross. And when the, when the church in, in the book of Acts, early the first church early on after Pentecost was persecuted so greatly in their first little wave of persecution, the, the, the Jewish council 
was amazed at the boldness of Peter and John. They said they're ignorant, unlearned men. They're not learned like us in the laws and the, and the scriptures and so forth. And the, and the, but but they took note that they had been with Jesus. And they marveled at the boldness of Peter and John. Peter and John, filled with the Holy Ghost, it says. But he, being filled with the Holy Ghost, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, spake with, spake with great boldness. And so, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The reason they had the boldness was because they were detached. They didn't care what this Jewish council thought about them. They weren't going to be disrespectful. That's not what the, the Holy Ghost does. It wasn't a disrespect or ridicule towards the council. They were, going to, they were going to be respectful, but they're going to say, we ought to obey God rather than men. It's like a three Hebrew boys, right? Before Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow. We're not being disrespectful, but we're not going to bow down to your idol. And the reason is, y'all, to those fishermen, we're using Peter and John right here, the cross was real. With Christ, they were identified, crucified, and liberated. Amen? With Christ. They were unembarrassed to, to speak of the Lord. And so let the people, let the persecution come where it will. Christ's captives are truly free. I want to read a couple of scriptures here. Where the servant of Christ is free. Turn with me to Jeremiah 1 8. Now we know about Jeremiah. We're not going to be too much longer y'all, about the close. But in Jeremiah, he's young. He's young. And the Lord calls him to be a prophet to Judah specifically, but a prophet to the nations. And he's saying, oh, I'm, I'm just a kid. I'm just a, a youngster. Are you sure you want to use me to go confront kings and priests and the rulers of the people? And look at verse 8. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. And I have set thee this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. Who did it? The Lord did it. Don't just say to me, I'm this and I'm that. The Lord knew good and well what Jeremiah was and who he was when he called him. Amen? Like he knew what Moses was when he called him to deliver the people. And Moses says, can you use my brother Aaron? He speaks really well. You know, I stutter. Uh, the Lord says, I, I know what you do, Moses. Who made your mouth? He says to Jeremiah, don't you be afraid of their faces. Don't just say, well, back in verse 6, then said I, ah, Lord, I cannot speak. Uh, for I am a child. The Lord says, don't say to me you're a child. I created you before you were in your mother's womb. I knew you. And I've ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Just surrender over to me. And he surrendered. He surrendered. He wasn't like Jonah and fled from the Lord to hide and go the opposite direction. He was scared, and, but the Lord comforted him. He was scared, but he yielded. He was scared, but he submitted. He was scared. And guess what? God used him as the prophet to the nations, the weeping prophets. He cared. God put his heart in the man. God put his words in his mouth. It was, he was just a robot. Read Lamentations. He's weeping. The weeping prophet. It's a boldness by the power of the Lord. 
not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The one that is surrendered is the one that is free. The one that is surrendered and cut off from the opinions of men about their life within and without. We are free from their opinions. It's not that we're arrogant. Say, I don't care what anybody thinks. We really are dead to that. And all I want is Christ. And they, they can say what they will, do what they will, but we ought to obey God rather than men. That's freedom in that. I say it all the time. I want such freedom. We taste it. We experience it to an extent. God wants us to walk in that. And y'all, I want to... I want to bring us to a close just by reading uh, one account and we'll talk about it. So the early church is threatened first by the Jews, right? The Jewish hierarchy. We command you not to preach anymore in his name. Then they went and preached in his name. They're thrown in, in prison and so forth. They're commanded a second time and beaten this time. And after they're beaten, they say, well, maybe we ought to rethink this thing a little bit. Maybe we need to change our tactics. Is that what they did? Not at all. They preach that they're in prison. They get out of prison because God opens the prison doors and they walk out. They preach again. The Jews found them right back after Peter was thrown in prison and the angel sends an earthquake and opens up the prison doors and Peter walks out and he thinks he's sleepwalking and not even sure that this is real. And the angel says, put your shoes on and come on. The church is praying. And they find him again back in immediately, back in the same place where they were arrested the first time. Are they stupid or are they liberated in Christ? They're liberated in Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They're the wisest ones on the planet. Because they're actually doing the will of God for their lives. They love not their lives unto death. There's freedom in that, isn't there? There's great freedom in that. And we ought to, we'd be amazed to see what God can do when we're yielded to the Lord in such a way. I think we would be blown away. I think we would kick ourselves every morning saying, why didn't I do this sooner? What was I holding on to? Reputation? Some acquaintances over here? God knows how to save them. You know what I mean? What was I hanging on? What was I so afraid of? that I couldn't free fall, so to speak, into the Lord's will, into the Lord's hands. I want to live like those apostles. There's liberty in that. Amen? There's liberty in that and freedom in that. Let's close with this. In Acts chapter 4, we've kind of been touching all around it. Let's start reading in verse 23. We'll read a long portion and we'll, we'll close. And being let go, this is the second time after they were, this time they were beaten, and they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We cannot but speak the things we've heard, seen and heard. Being let go, they weren't let go until they were beat first, beaten first. They went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage? So they're putting it in a biblical perspective. I think that's important right away. 
They're not just saying, what in the world's happening to us? I don't get it. They beat us. All we did was preach the gospel and heal a lame man at the temple. They saw it rightly. The wisdom of God. And they knew the scriptures. And the Holy Ghost illuminated the scriptures to them. And they said, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. We're persecuted because God said the church was going to be persecuted. And so they quote this psalm. Why did... Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Everybody's against Christ. Everybody's against the Lord, the true God. It might be religious, but everybody's against Christ, so they're against Christ in his church. That's what they're opposed to. And it's the spirit of this world. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Now here's their, their appeal. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. They didn't ask one thing for themselves in the sense of Lord protect us. Make it a little easier. Help us to change our message in a way that is more acceptable. That people would accept us more and we have a better reception next time we go out. You don't see any of that. They said, we're, grant us boldness to get back out there. And grant us the power of the Holy Ghost to, to do the signs and wonders that you promised to do. God was pleased with that. Amen. It's like Solomon praying for wisdom to rule the people. God said, I'm going to give you wisdom and everything else he didn't ask for. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken to God. It was accepting their prayer. He was pleased with their prayer. The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness, period. Then it goes on to say that the Lord's added to the church and signs and wonders are fallen. The Lord's doing it all. Amen. The Lord's doing it all. But y'all, they didn't they didn't weren't swayed by the, the threats of man. They, they didn't matter to them the approval of the world or the disdain of the world. That's the liberty I'm talking about. It didn't matter to them. They would rejoice if they go to Samaria like Philip did and everybody gets saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. But if Stephen went, I mean, if Philip went there and got stoned, he would have still done it. If God wanted to raise him up from being stoned like he did Paul, he'd raise him up and send him on to the next town and use him there. They're free from that. And we're living our lives with, we're tethered down to things. We think it's insignificant. It's not insignificant. It needs to be yielded to God. Y'all stand with me tonight. We're not going to have the, uh, the music at the altar, but I really encourage you to come to the altars. Take a few moments. And get with the Lord. You don't have to wait till some later date. Whatever God is dealing with you about now, would you come and just lay it at the altar? Nobody's going to bother you. If you want somebody to pray with you, we will. I will. Others will. If you just want to get with God, get with God. Lay those things and pray for that boldness. Pray that the place where we are would be shaken and we'd all be filled with the Holy Ghost. Pray that the things that are not surrendered for the, to the Lord would be surrendered. Pray that the things that are keep, keep you and I from being freed up and liberated to the extent that these men were that we read about in this early church, that that would be 
done away with. Ask God's forgiveness. Ask God's strength to do it. Because you're going to need God's strength to do it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Touch your people tonight. Touch us all. Make us what you've called us to be in Jesus' name.